welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm one of your co-hosts, Katie Halper. And I'm Mary Matte. How you doing, Aaron? I'm fine, Katie. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I heard you binge watched Ozark. Not yet. Oh, not, not yet. yet. Okay, that's some misinformation. Let me clarify that. Well, I, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, I did start watching. I just haven't finished. I haven't have, finished. Right. It. So definitely, you haven't binge watched it, or else you'd be done. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got. Yeah. I started watching the first episode of the uh, new second of half the of new, the new. Yeah, so I guess that's episode eight of season four. Okay. Yeah, didn't get full way through, but that was just because I was tired, and I'm trying to take care of, uh, be better about sleep hygiene. That's very important. Very important. That's yeah. very very important, especially if you have shows in your life like Ozark, which entail so much murder, you know, violence, <laughs> just uh, human malice. Right. It's important to be well rested too process handle, that yes yeah. to handle and not get inspired by it mm-hmm. very important yeah. very important yeah, yeah. what do you think of it well i'm only on the first half of the last season so oh that's oh did you do that strategically so you wouldn't have to be like tortured by waiting for the second half no there's nothing strategic i just you know uh there's a thing called global injustice suffering and Maybe that's my that's my main concern that's your focus right that's my main concern right. not binge watching netflix shows yes right i see so yeah. right but you are but you are binge watching it you're just a little behind i'm just behind yeah yeah well yeah. she's she's uh the woman who plays ruth is great oh fantastic she's actor. so good so good and uh yeah. i actually really enjoyed the show on netflix inventing anna that she's in. okay yeah all right everyone's talking about severance too have you seen that no and i in fact i don't even is it what is it it's ben stiller directed it and everyone loves it. Okay. Everyone says it's great. Yeah. It's a comedy or it's is not it a comedy. It's, I think it's like a dystopian workplace drama or something. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but everyone says yeah. it's great. Well, we'll look into it. And Ben Stiller, yeah. you're welcome on the show. Because Aaron and I are both huge fans of a film of yours called Flirting with Disaster. Flirting with Disaster. Honestly, so I think it's my favorite movie of all time. It's if really I, good. Yeah. If I were to, certainly my favorite comedy. I, yeah. I love that movie so much. It's up there for me, yeah. yeah. Patricia Arquette, before I knew how much I hated her. Yeah, Patricia Ar Arquette, before she blocked me on Twitter. Oh, she blocked you. Interesting. Also a great performance. It was some Russiagate stuff. See, we're so fair and balanced because there are other people who wouldn't acknowledge what a good performer she is because they didn't like her. But we do. Her politics suck, and she's a good actress. Good actor. You know, unfortunately for me, in the Russiagate oh. era saying like the line their politics suck but they're very talented at whatever they do that's become a common refrain unfortunately yeah, that's just exactly, which is yeah. what it is right you know? she very boldly said that um what was it that russia should be kicked out of nato did you see oh, that really well yeah. so i missed that because i'm yeah. blocked but yeah. right apparently yeah. oh because you're blocked right yeah. yeah yeah i think she meant the un which also right. is probably not advisable but whatever yeah, yeah. Yeah. By the way, you know, it's funny. If Russia was in NATO, then we wouldn't even be having this whole mess. Right, of course. Because actually, Russia wanted to join NATO at some point because they wanted to have a European-wide security architecture so that no one's pitted against each other. No one, by definition, is an adversary because everyone's in the same military alliance rather right. than a military alliance that excludes some people. And so, you know, really, if Patricia Arquette's vision of a Russia-inclusive NATO had come to fruition, then we wouldn't be in this problem. Yeah, exactly. So maybe she's actually a visionary. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's been our culture, pop culture segment for the week. We yes. Hope you enjoy it. 
Yeah. That's your one-stop shop for culture, everybody. You, you just got caught up. Culture. Yeah, you got yeah, caught you got up caught with up. everything. Yeah. yeah. And then, well, you know what? Let's call it a show. Let's just wrap. Call it a okay, let's okay, wrap fair it. Enough. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. See you guys next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Katie, the, the key to any balanced lifestyle is mm-hmm. having a mix of everything. So you have your culture. Yeah. We covered that. Because you also need your four basic food groups. Exactly. And luckily, we had that for you, too. You're so unlucky. Yeah. Let's hit it. So four basic food groups for anyone who's unfamiliar is a regular segment we do on the show. It's Democrats suck, Republicans suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? So this week and that's I have- because that's what all news is broken down into basically. So for Democrats suck this week, what is the big issue right now for Democrats? Obviously it's this leaked Supreme Court draft that would o- overturn Roe versus Wade. Right. So how did Joe Biden respond to that? Well, he visited a Lockheed Martin plant in Alabama to talk about his top priority, which is continuing the proxy war in Ukraine. He's just asked Congress for $33 billion, including $20 billion for weapons for Ukraine. And here's a little bit of what he said. They can hit targets up to 400 meters away and have a fire and forget capability. That means a person firing can, I know you know, it's for anybody who maybe listen, can change positions or take cover before that javelin even strikes home, strikes the target. In fact, they've been so important. There's even a story about Ukrainian parents naming their children, not a joke, their newborn child, Javelin or Javelina, not a joke. Okay, so that's a bit hard to understand because he's very soft-spoken there, to put it nicely. But what he's touting is the Javelin missile, okay, at this Lockheed Martin plant. And he's relaying an anecdote that parents in Ukraine of newborns are so grateful to the Javelin missile being provided to them by the uh, all generous uh, US weapons arms industry uh, that they're naming their kids Javelin and Javelina. That's what he said. I mean, it has a nice ring to it. I love, (laughs) I love, uh, you know, thinking of children as uh, symbols, tokens of of instruments of death. That's right. That's what I think of when I think of children. Yeah, what are other good names that we could come up with from weapons? A- oh, we already have Adam, like the Adam bomb. You the Adam bomb, A-T-O-M. there we go, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Adam, A-T-O-M, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. How about a calling a kid Stinger for a Stinger missile? I like that. Hey, Stinger. I mean, th- yeah, Stinger's cute, and then you can call him Sting for short, and you, uh-huh, you, you call him Sting. There we know. go. Maybe that's who Sting was named after. That that must be it, boom. That that's be his it, origin yeah. story right there. Yeah, Yeah. there you go, yeah. Fun fact, everybody, Pop Star Sting is named after the Stinger missile. Yeah. <laughs> he chose that name himself and uh he he went with that that's what inspired him yeah 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 so anyway that's uh joe biden that's that's his top priority right now is going to a lockheed martin plant asking for 30 billion for 33 billion dollars more for ukraine at a time when unemployment hunger all these problems that the u.s is facing are ever present and uh, this is his priority and relaying anecdotes about Ukrainians naming their kids after U.S. weapons. Very yeah. touching. Well, the good news is that now with Roe v. Wade uh, basically uh, under threat of being overturned, and it will be overturned shortly, barring uh, some major unexpected changes, the good news is you may not be able to terminate a pregnancy, but now you have some cool names that you can choose from, like Javelin and Javelina, if you want to be in solidarity with the people of Ukraine. So it's always a silver lining. And a, a very creative solution to, yeah. yes, to the new problems created by the Supreme Court. Right. 
Sting again, Stinger, Sting. Stingers. Guys, let us know on Twitter. Use the hashtag uh, #UsefulIdiotsPod and let us know some other weapons-inspired names that you think would be good. <laughs> and we'll read them next week. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. All right. So for Republican suck, we have the major development that Aaron referred to, which is a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion published Monday night by Politico shows that the Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights. Uh, The document is an internally circulated majority draft opinion that was written by Justice Samuel Alito that would strike down Roe v. Wade. As people probably know, Roe v. Wade guarantees federal constitutional protections of abortion rights. And in this decision, Alito writes, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. One of the things that's so disingenuous about this um, quote and this framing is that it makes it seem like, oh, we need to make this a democratic uh, issue, put it into the hands of the people. The thing is, though, that this is minoritarian rule. This is a Supreme Court uh, deciding the fate of countless people and overriding, overruling, actually, uh, majority will, popular will, because uh, the right to, uh, for to abortion is actually overwhelmingly supported by people. You'd never know that because the you know loudest voices in the room are these crazy fundamentalists, and they do things like you know play with like take out plastic fetuses and do all that stuff and kill doctors, um, harass women who are getting abortions. But the truth is, again, the uh, right to an abortion is overwhelmingly supported by the American people. So this is just an ideological uh, dictatorship uh, hiding as popular will. And they're also full of shit because like um, Kavanaugh was saying it was decided you know, as precedent, all these people who pretended during their confirmation process uh, to never, you know, that they wouldn't overturn Roe are, are doing this. And um, Alito also is a coward. He wouldn't say what his thoughts on Roe were. They're a bunch of cowards and they're a bunch of ideologues pretending to be fair and balanced, neutral um, interpreters of the Constitution and the law. Just but they're ideologues and there should be uh, term limits for them. So yeah, a bunch of fossils, a bunch of fossils. So that's already Republican sucking. But then I want to highlight a, a special Republican who sucked on this issue, Matt Getz. He writes, how many of the women rallying against overturning Roe are overeducated, underloved millennials who sadly return from protest to a lonely microwave dinner with their cats and no bumble matches? Well, okay, Matt, I'm allergic to cats. So it doesn't apply to me. I may be overeducated. I don't do bumble. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I don't know what overeducated means. Probably any woman who goes to school at all past like nursery school is overeducated for Matt Getz. But uh, this to me is just reveals how personalized it's real projection. That's what we're seeing here. And clearly all of Matt Getz's politics are based on his own insecurities. I don't want to 
come off as a size queen or be uh, ableist or anything, but I, I can't help but think that there's some penis size insecurity um, that shapes his politics, hatred of women, issues with his mom, issues with other women in his life. I guess I want to thank Matt for kind of opening up about how um, personalized his politics are, how he's dealing with a lot of darkness and sadness. And I kind of consider this, uh, although on the uh, from the on the on the superficial level, this probably looks like just your average uh, typical right wing misogyny. I think there's actually a call for help underneath this. This is where the healing could begin for Matt. Absolutely. If you feel compelled to broadcast so much bitterness and anger towards women, obviously you're asking subconsciously for help. Because why else right. would you want to air such a hateful message? It's just so it's just so spiteful. And especially if you're an elected official. Yeah. I mean, have some sense, have some dignity. Have some dignity, yeah. But also go talk to someone about your own online dating um, tragedies yeah. that clearly shaped the way you view politics. Sure. And I'm sorry that people didn't write you back on Bumble <laughs> or didn't write you. Cause I guess Bumble's the one where women take the initiative first. So, which he must hate. He's probably so triggered by that. I wonder what his dating online profile would say. Anyway, that's another thing that, that uh, viewers of the show, listeners of the show, let us know. Hashtag <laughs> useful idiots pod what you think but underloved millennials does he know that uh women of other ages besides millennials care about this issue yeah it's true why is he singling out millennials he must have as, as you say he must have had some yeah he's been rejected by them yeah, yeah 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 um i just keep thinking that you know there's a tupac song that really explains our entire world right now the two top issues in the u.s at least right now first he says in in keep your head up he says they got money for war, but can't feed the poor. We've quoted right. that line before in the show. But he also says in that song, he says, and since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. Wow. Yeah. Remember that, Matt. I wonder if he likes uh wonder if he likes Tupac. He, he probably does. He probably does. He probably, he probably would does. deny it though. Yeah. That's a stark case of, of Republicans suck, suck as it always yeah. is. They never yeah, cease to suck. Is. Yeah. But let me just tell you something, ladies, some good news for you guys, ladies and trans men. The good news is that uh, no more of these back alley abortions, no more coat hangers. Uh, we got alternatives, medical abortion pills, and we'll talk more about those. But those are a possibility. So make sure you stock up on those um, ahead of time. Even if you're not planning for, to have an abortion, a lot of um, abortions are unplanned. So uh, I'll put a link to these the medications that you can take. Apparently, it's fairly easy. You just take two pills. All right. So for Isn't That Weird, we have a uh, medical procedure that is coming into vogue for especially among, among men. It's very, 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 very relevant to me. And it's a headline from BuzzFeed News, which says he was five foot seven. After surgery, he'll be five foot ten. Originally designed to correct mismatched length in legs, limb lengthening surgery has become more popular for men looking to permanently increase their height. When I first met Scott, not his real name, in early March, he was gently pushing a walker ahead of him. I had gotten lost trying to find the door to his apartment, so he had to come find me. 
Leaning against the doorframe in a fitted t-shirt and shorts, he waved me over and then steadied himself. On a picture-perfect Los Angeles day like this one, had the circumstances been different, we probably would have met outside and enjoyed the sunshine. But he's still getting used to his new legs. A few weeks earlier, Scott had what he calls life-altering surgery. He underwent a procedure that will make him permanently taller. There are no concrete numbers on how many people are having this procedure. But Scott is among the men who, frustrated by how they're treated because of their height, sought out a surgeon who could permanently lengthen his legs. Before the $75,000 procedure he had in January, he was about five foot seven. By the time he's done lengthening, a weeks long process after the surgery, he will be five foot 10, about an inch taller than the average American man. Well, listen, this is a very relevant article for me because uh, I happen to be on the short side as well. And Wilson, I don't know, did you see me tweet about this article itself before you picked it or, or is that just coincidence? I did not, I didn't know did you not. tweeted this. And this is what I said in response to this article when it came out. If anybody can spot me $75,000, I'll pay you back in spades if this procedure helps me become global supreme emperor, consider it. And you know what I mean there is like, you know, every short guy has this fantasy of what life could be like if they were just a little bit taller. I mean, that's, a, that's that Skilo song. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. Remember right. that song? And so my joke forever for, you know, with my family and friends has for, for, always been like, you know, if I was like taller, I, I wouldn't even be hanging out with you guys right now. I'd probably right. be like president or global supreme emperor. Right. You know, so that was so, um, but that's like, no doubt any, any, any man in a similar uh, situation who saw this article, I'm sure had similar thoughts. So right. I know for some people, this procedure sounds very, very weird. And it is weird. But at the same time, it sounds kind of awesome too to me. Would you do that surgery? What if you actually? What if you fund your your like fundraiser call is uh, successful? Then what? Uh, if I could be three inches taller, I absolutely would do it. But spending seventy five thousand dollars, you know, when you think about what else could be done with that money, right? It seems, it's pretty selfish, I think. You know, it just uh, it doesn't see it. It seems tacky. Right. But I get it. I'm, I'm not judging anyone who, who's done it. And who knows? Maybe one day, maybe one day I'll be in a position to do it. Who knows? But yeah, uh, no, as of no. Um, and I also believe you have to, you know, there's some there's some peace in accepting how how God made you, you know. Right. Of course. Yeah. You, know, you have a so. great life. Imagine if you had changed it. You well, I mean, you'd be supreme emperor. But yeah. In this anti short king world. Right. You know, even a five seven short king. Well, feel short. Right. Because of short, <laughs> short of phobia. Yes. Well, for uh, isn't that terrible? We have a story about uh, you never you never believe it. But apparently um, Amazon is uh, making a decision that isn't good for workers. So Amazon workers won't get paid for COVID leave anymore. Amazon is cutting paid time off for frontline U.S. workers who test positive for COVID-19. All U.S.-based Amazon workers who test positive for COVID-19 will now get up to five days of excused unpaid leave. They are changing their policy, and uh, obviously uh, this will be bad for not only workers with COVID, but workers in general, people in general, because people are going to be spreading COVID more than they would have been under the previous rules. Um, uh, Also, workers waiting for COVID tests results will no longer have time off excuse since rapid tests are now widely available. Of course, we know that rapid tests are not as uh, reliable as the PCR tests. 
this is uh, not surprising, but it's still uh, terrible, I would say. Well, I'm sure what's his name? Uh, Jay Carney, the former White House uh, press secretary under Obama, will have a great explanation for why this is totally fine. Yeah. Somehow it's going to be. Somehow they're the ones who are believing in science. I'm not sure how it works, but somehow he, as a Democrat, is pro-science. Yeah. But when Republicans make decisions like this, they're anti-science. Don't Absolutely. know how it works, but somehow it comes out to be that way. Yeah. And speaking of Amazon, Chris Smalls, the labor organizer who won Amazon's first union effort, he's now meeting with Bernie Sanders, with AOC. He's even been invited to the White House, apparently. So, you know, he's making moves and he's um, doing something that this country really needs. And so, you know, I don't know. Shout out to him. Yeah, seriously. Got to get him on the show. So this week we have a great guest. Minar Adley is the founder and editor of Mint Press News, which is a news outlet that focuses primarily on foreign pol- U.S. foreign policy. There's very critical journalism of U.S. policy around the world from the Middle East to Ukraine. And right now they're among a number, a growing list of independent journalist outlets that are being targeted. And now they're being targeted in the form of financial sabotage, basically, where PayPal PayPal has blocked access to their account. PayPal has done the same thing to another adversarial website called Consortium News. So we're going to hear from Minar about that, as well as all the reporting that MinPress does. And without any further ado, let us hear from Minar Adley. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to know how you learned about what PayPal did to uh, Mint Press and if you could just talk about what they did and also how you found out about it. Well, I was contacted by PayPal via email. I received an email um, last week basically telling me uh, that my PayPal account, I, I, I basically could not use our PayPal account anymore and PayPal is no longer offering their services to myself or um, to mint press. And the only reason given was this one line vaguely stating that our account poses risk and therefore they are permanently banning us. And that any funds that we have in our PayPal balance um, would be held for about 180 days. And after the 180 days, they would um, decide at that point if that money would be returned uh, to myself and mint press. Um, unless, of course, part of that investigation, um, you know, any funds that would go towards that investigation, they would pull out of our balance. So it definitely sounded like they were about to steal um, our money. So they were going to charge you for whatever funds that they used to investigate you. Yeah, that's right. Um, and also Alan McLeod was targeted journal right uh, mint press journalist alan mcleod yeah for mint press it was myself uh the mint press business account alan mcleod and for my understanding other independent uh, media outlets and journalists like consortium news and caleb maupin were also targeted and you know this sort of seizure and banning by paypal i believe is blatant censorship of dissenting journalists and outlets who have unapologetically worked as watchdog journalism outlets to expose the profiteers of the permanent war states. Um, You know, if we look at uh, PayPal, we're not the first that have been targeted by this 
campaign. You know, we live in an intellectual no fly, no fly zone right now where online censorship has become the norm of dissenting journalism. But the blueprint of this was actually created um, in 2011, I believe, when, when uh, WikiLeaks and Assange were targeted by PayPal um, to ban them from receiving any sort of funds or donations um, to their outlet. And there's no question that that was a direct order from the US government and possibly from the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and if you remember in 2012, an EU parliamentary uh, resolution criticized providers like PayPal for this arbitrary economic censorship. So there's no question that those who have been uh, exposing the profiteers and the agendas of the permanent war state from the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, to Israel's occupation of Palestine and Saudi Arabia's genocidal war in Yemen, which is the kind of coverage that we provide. And we also work to expose uh, the regime change operations in Syria, Ukraine, and Venezuela, and how you know weapons flows are to these nations have plunged them into devastating uh, civil wars. And so there's no question that uh, PayPal is working hand in hand um, with the US government, with the national security state, with the military industrial complex to target uh, dissent. And if you look at PayPal themselves, they're actually a partner of the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, which is um, an anti-dissenting organization that uh, you know, purports that it is fighting anti-Semitism when in fact it is a purveyor of racism and uh, targets Palestinians um, and anybody who really questions, uh, you know, mainstream corporate uh, war narratives. I mean, they famously went after Ilhan Omar, but they also are responsible. They also work with YouTube. They're also responsible for these big tech giants, including PayPal, for preventing Palestinian Americans from accessing their own money on these accounts. So we're certainly not the first, but this definitely sets a dangerous precedent for independent dissenting journalism. They also, by the way, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, which really, as you said, has nothing to do with um, defamation. They went after, they tweeted, their um, president tweeted something critical of Matt Taibbi because Taibbi wrote an article about Josh Gottheimer, um, which mentioned the fraternity he belonged to at Harvard. And Matt didn't even know it happens to be a Jewish fraternity. But the point is, it's a fraternity with a lot of powerful people in it, totally unrelated to the fact that it's Jewish. But uh, it just totally weaponizes anti-Semitism to, uh, and and actually, I would say, really is aids anti-Semitism in a way because it trivializes it to such an extent that when there is actual anti-Semitism, it's taken less seriously, uh, and it's it's not focused on because there's so many kind of garbage allegations of anti-Semitism describing things that are not anti-Semitism. Absolutely. I mean, the weaponization of anti-Semitism has prevented any sort of real critical dialogue of the state of Israel and its apartheid policies against Palestinians and its oppression of Palestinians, its occupation of Palestinian land, its theft of Palestinian land. I mean, look at what happened last year uh, in May during uh, Israel's onslaught of Gaza that left 70,000 people homeless after it leveled all of Gaza. I mean, it, the, the amount of bombs that it had dropped leveled out all of these buildings in Gaza targeted residential homes. And it, uh, you know, and Israel targeted buildings housing journalists. And we weren't even allowed to talk about that because they weaponized uh, anti-Semitism, any sort of criticism of Israel 
and its per its permanent war state and its genocidal policies will result in uh, anyone being accused of being anti-Semitic or anti-Israel, whatever that means, while Palestinians continue to suffer under that regime. Right. So uh, also, I just wanted to, to put in that uh, you are totally correct in what you said about PayPal and WikiLeaks and Bronco Marchetich has a great article in Jacobin about what happened to uh, Mint Press and Consortium News, in which he calls out the not only what PayPal did, but the total silence among um, corporate media, mainstream media establishment, media legacy media, when it comes to covering this, even though it should be a huge story. He links to an article from 2010 about how PayPal said it stopped WikiLeaks uh, payments on U.S. letter. PayPal has said that its decision to stop people from using its service to make donations to WikiLeaks was made after a letter from the U.S. government. A vice president at the online payments firm said the State Department had said that the activities of the website were illegal in the U.S. and uh, PayPal suspended payments to WikiLeaks uh, and has been followed by Visa, Europe, and MasterCard. Amazon and Swiss Bank Post Finance have also cut ties with WikiLeaks. This is kind of crazy. The Pay PayPal's vice president, Osama Bedier, told a conference that the company's acceptable use policy group had decided to suspend WikiLeaks account after the State Department sent a letter on 27 November, adding that it was a straightforward decision. Pretty amazing that they just admitted that part out loud. Uh, well, we don't always get to see that like straightforward explanation, but in this case we did. And, but there's some good news, right? Aren't they giving you back the money in the account or... So yesterday I received an email um, stating that we can now access our funds if we have a balance and we can transfer them to transfer that those funds to our bank account, but we still cannot use PayPal services. Right. And then in the email, it was really strange. It actually stated that there are steps we can take to lift some limitations. No steps were provided. We don't even know what that means. I tried logging in today to our PayPal account and we still have the same big message appearing on the screen, which is you can no longer use PayPal permanently. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit of good news that we can finally get our, uh, you know, any access to our own money, but uh, it appears we still are banned from PayPal. And again, they haven't told you why they've imposed this ban, right? I mean, they just gave us that one liner, which is your, your account poses risk. What does that even mean? We don't even know what that means. You know where this is going? I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, in like a year or two, 10 years, we'll get to a point where say like someone will be listening to a podcast like this, where, you know, Menard's talking about, you know, US crimes from Syria to Ukraine, wherever. And all of a sudden someone li listening to the podcast will get a message being like, your bank account's been depleted because we've matched your podcast content to risky, uh, <laughs> two risky right. thoughts so sorry you've lost your bank account <laughs> it's, it's like like what's the what obviously uh, i'm exaggerating but it's like this is where it, it's just insane how normalized this has become and and what's your response menar to you know katie mentioned this the the lack of corporate media interest in what's happening to you right now everyone's sort of just greeting this with a shrug but yeah like sure let's just freeze a independent news site's funding uh because we can I mean, why would they care? I mean, this is, we're talking about the corporate mainstream media that acts as stenographers, as public relations for the permanent war state who are constantly pushing a war agenda. Uh, they push, um, you know, perspectives and 
uh, statements that are directly manufactured by the State Department and the Pentagon. And so we can't expect any of these corporate media outlets to come to our defense. And I think it's so interesting that while we were being banned by PayPal the same weekend, there was the you know, correspondence dinner taking place at the White House where we have figures like Trevor Noah celebrating how we have the fourth state acting as a watchdog to those in power. That's complete bullshit. Uh, the, the mainstream corporate media acts as stenographers for uh, the permanent war state. And we're seeing that taking place right now as we've entered wartime with the war in Ukraine. There is no critical coverage of US foreign policy or NATO that brought us the Ukraine crisis. There's no uh, critical coverage of how, you know, while we are suffering here in America, people are lacking health care, our infrastructure is crumbling. We have a homelessness crisis. We have so many issues, student debt, and the Biden administration, instead of fixing the problems right here at home, is wanting to spend send billions of dollars of weapons uh, to the Ukrainian military and government. I mean, our media is beating the drums of war. They're pushing this Russia phobia. They've been doing this for a long time. I know, Aaron, you've been covering that for a very long time with Russiagate. And our media is now acting as a lapdog and not a watchdog. And so why would they come to our defense when our media right now is also owned by the billionaire class? I mean, look at um, the New York Times, look at uh, the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos and works directly with the CIA. Look at the Daily Beast, which you know formerly had uh, you know Michael Wise. He's a senior fellow at the NATO-funded Atlantic Council who has been accused of running the very shady uh, organization, uh, you know, proper not that black blacklisted independent media outlets and figures uh, like Mint Press, um, who basically state that anyone critical of the Obama administration, critical of any sort of war narrative, um, is in fact a Russian disinformation agent. And so we have all of these very shady individuals. Um, and organizations that are tied to, you know, NATO funded think tanks and, you know, like the Atlantic Council and think tanks that work uh, hand in hand with weapons manufacturers they are funded by Israel, by Saudi Arabia, um, who are targeting dissenting journalists and anti-war figures. So there's no question what their agenda is. It's to smear and target um, any sort of dissenting voices. One of those dissenting voices who's being targeted is the Pope. I don't know if you saw this, but in the Daily Beast, they just basically called the Pope a conspiracy theorist because he made the point that he thinks that NATO might have provoked the Russian war uh, on Ukraine, that he thinks that if NATO had not tried to expand to Russia's doorstep, that this war possibly could not have happened. And for that, the Daily Beast called him a conspiracy theorist. So there it is from the Daily Beast. Pope Francis says NATO started war in Ukraine by barking at Putin's door, and it's labeled there under the category of conspiracy theories. And they say that in the article too. So that's just, I mean, even the Pope wow. can get labeled a conspiracy theorist by the Daily Beast. So really- Way to go, Daily Beast. I mean, you know, in fairness work. to them, at least they're not just punching at independent leftist journalists. They're even willing to go after the Pope for saying the, the wrong thing. Yeah, they're fair and balanced. Very fair and balanced, yeah. So let me ask you about more of what you guys are doing. You at Mint Press have a new article up that was uh, written by one of your reporters, Alan McLeod, that's called The NATO to TikTok Pipeline. Why is TikTok employing so many 
national security agents. Talk to us about that. Well, there's no question that TikTok is extremely influential with young people. I mean, it's been it's it's a medium that reaches over one billion people worldwide. And so having control over its algorithm or content moderation means the ability uh, to set the terms of global debate and decide what people see, hear, and read, and what they don't get to see either. Um, TikTok right now, since the war in Ukraine has uh, taken a hold, TikTok has taken down at the behest of the US government, uh, has deleted over 320,000 Russian accounts and removed 41,000 videos peddling so-called misinformation about the war. And they've also placed warning labels just like Twitter um, on Russia state controlled media. And so why this is obviously very dangerous is that uh, we have another big tech giant that now the US has control over to influence young people and plant the seeds of, you know, basically manufacture consent for war. Um, we saw this taking place with other so-called neoliberal hipster style outlets like BuzzFeed and Vice News, who really present themselves to be friendly and hip and talk about you know, drugs, sex, and fashion. And so they appeal to the younger crowd. But um, in a lot of their news coverage, they pretty much just rehash and republish State Department talking points. Um, and in many cases, if you look at Vice News, um, they've actually been found through our coverage and through our investigations to just blatantly republish uh, public relations statements and uh, releases by the Board of Broadcasting Governors. And this is basically an arm of the US government to publish uh, US propaganda. It's basically po uh, uh, legalized propaganda that's funded by our US taxpayer money. And so now we have uh, PayPal, or not PayPal, excuse me, TikTok, uh, almost doing the same kind of thing, acting in the interest of the permanent war state of the uh, Biden administration to ensure that young people are supporting um, an anti-Russian kind of agenda, uh, a pro-war agenda, and to support NATO. And I think that's really, really important to talk about, too, is that we're seeing now people on the left promoting NATO. I never really thought I'd see, uh, you know, be in a time where now the establishment left is just blatantly promoting NATO and weapons flows the way that they are doing right now. I mean, what's even scarier, I think, and maybe more surprising is that it's not just the establishment left, but in some cases, it's the left that used to be or is more typically anti-war. We see voices like that even buying into the pro-NATO propaganda without really knowing what NATO is, I think. Yeah, and I think the blueprint of this really didn't even start with Iraq or Afghanistan. I think it started with the war in Syria. I mean, the architects of the war in Syria did a really good job at creating what we now know as the so-called humanitarian interventions um, that were created by people like Samantha Powers, um, who famously uh, presented all of these wars through a humanitarian lens to justify uh, you know, Obama bombs. Yet we know that Obama is the drone king. Um, he bombed in his first um, term, I believe it was, he, he dropped over 25,000 bombs on foreign countries in Yemen um, uh, and Somalia. And so we have this permanent war state that 
you know, through the Republican lens, it's being promoted, right, just blatantly, like, we're going to go bomb these countries, like, like how Trump said, it. we're going to carpet bomb these people. And the uh, Democratic Party and the neoliberals present it more in a friendly light, like, you know, we have to go save these people from an evil dictator. And so that's how they promote uh, their war agenda. So it is really scary, because people who are younger now are starting to promote uh, this pro-NATO agenda. And my son, who's now, you know, 12 years old, he's on TikTok. He actually told me, you know, when the war in Ukraine started, he said, mom, you know, I'm getting all of these uh, alerts and these videos about Ukraine. He's like, I've been on this, been using TikTok for a year. I've never seen any outrage for Israel's ongoing war in Gaza. <laughs> I've never seen any sort of coverage about the people that are in Iraq or Afghanistan. This is my son because, you know, he hears the things that I talk about. Right. And so at least he's aware because he has me influencing him. But a lot of these kids who um, only have access to uh, these big tech giants and their parents who probably consume news from the New York Times or the Washington Post, they wouldn't know what the difference between propaganda is and what real information is. And that's really the unfortunate thing. Yeah, MinPress, you guys should do your own prop or not. <laughs> well, and we kind of already do that through the fantastic reporting of, um, you know, Alan McLeod, you know, when he does his in investigations. I mean, if we look at TikTok right now, they, they, um, their content policy lead for TikTok Canada, Alexander Corbell, he's also the vice president of the NATO, NATO Association of Canada. So it's a, a NATO funded organization um, chaired by former uh, Canadian Minister of Defense, David Collinet. So there's a huge conflict in interest, of interest between these big tech giants and the way that they are trying to present or target, I guess you should say, uh, information on their platforms. You mentioned Vice News before. So can I show you guys one of my favorite Vice News clips? Like there's so many. If you pick any you know, uh, global South country that's been targeted for regime change by the U.S., Vice News will have done a video advancing the U.S. state line, without exception, I think. Now, it doesn't mean all their videos are bad. I've seen some good coverage from Vice News occasionally, but there's so many examples of just really funny propaganda. So I want to show you one of my favorites. This was when, if you remember this a few years ago, there was like this embassy standoff in Washington where after the Trump administration launched its coup attempt in Venezuela, its attempt to uh, install Juan Guaido, it basically forced out the staffers at the Venezuelan embassy. And so the embassy staffers on their way out basically gave the keys to Code Pink and said, and some other activists said, protect the embassy for us. And then that's what these embassy protectors did, protecting it from the coup mongers who the Trump administration wanted to give the building to, right? So there was a standoff. So Vice News comes down and they do this segment where you have like a blockade of like pro-coup uh, Venezuelan uh, uh, activists and their supporters in a standoff with Code Pink. And basically this Vice News segment tries to portray like Code Pink, which, you know, anybody who knows Code Pink, it's led by women, uh, many grandmothers, you know, it's like, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, these are not like intimidating people to say the least, or violent people to say the least. It and tries to portray, pink. it tries to portray them pink. as like, you know, as like them, it's them intimidating the people who are blockading them and actually preventing food from getting in. Activists had to like, like had to like muscle had to like run through to just get food inside the embassy because they were being blockaded so this is how vice news reported it at the time activists fight their battles through images on social media the venezuelans portrayed code pink as middle-aged white colonizers 
Code Pink portrayed the Venezuelans as a mob of fascists. But Code Pink are pros. A few days ago, we started noticing these people have been uh, getting information, private information about our lives um, and putting it out there as a means of, I guess, scaring us. It's becoming a little, you know, sketchy at like this creepy? point. Creepy? Do you think, in a way, Code Pink might have brought more attention to the suffering of people in Venezuela? I don't know, because they've been having parties in the embassy. I don't really think they're spending their time talking to Congress people. We tried to get inside, but the activists upstairs wouldn't let us in, saying we were the hipster media arm of the empire. So I just love the clip because like they're basically portraying Code Pink as a collection of like sinister people who are endangering these noble uh, activists outside who are in reality blockading and harassing right. the people inside the embassy and doxing them and they're worried for their safety when really it's the people inside the embassy whose safety was concerned. And then at the end, they have that line where the activists inside called them the hipster arm of the empire, which I think that clip gives yeah. a lot of evidence for right. actually. Yeah, did they show all the people making like racist statements, racist sexist slurs, the Venezuelan Americans doing that? I don't think so. Yeah. No. Well, and they they did this kind of thing with, you know, when I was talking about they were just republishing um press releases from the Board of Broadcasting Governors, which by the way provides press releases also to organizations like Voice of America, which is funded by um the US government. They were doing this um, with, with the war in Syria and the war in Ukraine uh, during the first uh, Maidan coup. They were promoting like the Obama administration's official narrative on the war in Ukraine and justifying the coup that was taking place taking place there. And then also, um, you know, they were they used Islamophobia too to promote uh, a U.S. agenda in Syria as well. So I think it's 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 really unfortunate that. Their, I mean, their, their propaganda is so sophisticated that it's reaching these younger people. Can you elaborate on what you mean when you say using uh, Islamophobia? Sure. They were um, interviewing women that were fully covered in black. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a, they do it in a very insidious way. You know, they are kind of showing these women wearing all black, fully covered, who are being so-called, you know, oppressed, but then also making it appear as if that is how Islam also allows women to be treated within the religion. So while, you know, showing the humanity, I guess, of uh, girls that were being oppressed by Islamist groups like ISIS or Al-Nusra Front, they were also promoting the idea that this was actually the normal way in which Islam treats women instead of actually going behind the propaganda and looking at that this is a Wahhabi way of life. And I found that to be really irritating when I was watching their coverage of, you know, inside of Syria. Yeah, and that was like a, a broader thing with Syria, where if you basically were opposed to the U.S. policy of arming an insurgency dominated by al-Nusra, a.k.a. al-Qaeda, you could be called Islamophobic. That's right. Pointing out that most Syrians actually don't want to live under al-Qaeda. There was that was a common trope used that somehow you're engaging in Islamophobic uh, rhetoric and actually and the whole thing really even this idea that that Syria was this like uh, religious war Sunni versus Shia was also a complete fiction too because actually the majority of the Syrian military that was fighting these U.S. armed insurgent death squad they were Sunni so that also was a way in which to wage a disastrous dirty war 
they were absolutely pushing the sectarian narrative of the conflict like so many other media outlets. And the disappointing thing in that is that it kind of portrays Muslims as if they have been fighting, you know, it goes with that narrative that they've been fighting each other for thousands of years. And so it falls into creating that caricature, painting that caricature of Muslims as being backwards or barbaric and violent, um, when in fact it is our means of overthrowing the democratically elected government in Syria, which is the means of uh, barbaric and backwards. Minar, you are Palestinian American, right? Yes. So what is your reaction now to just recently in Israel-Palestine, you've had new Israeli attacks on worshipers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're, um, this is after you had the assault on Gaza and when so many people were killed, so many homes and lives were destroyed. What is your sense right now of where the U.S. media is at in covering Israel-Palestine? Do you feel as if it's a, been a forgotten issue? How do you feel it's being covered and, and do you think it's being done in, in any kind of remotely fair way? And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great. That was great. Really dangerous, ominous time right now where people who don't toe the party line are being cut off in the, in the ways that Mimpress and Consortium News are. And let me just put out a special plug to our tech overlords to please consider sparing us at Useful Idiots. Please, we yes. Will try to be more subservient in the future if you let us continue talking out yeah loud. we'll do our best yeah. yeah yeah definitely and make sure you become Substack subscribers in case anything does happen to us we gotta you know we gotta be able to fight the fight yeah so we can keep in touch uh also you're gonna want to become Substack subscribers because there's a little tea you know not not pouring tea what spilling tea god it sounds so old well how do we there's some spicy criticism that we engage in during the Substack only portion of this interview. Very spicy. Yeah, very so spicy. spicy. Yeah, so, so spicy, my, my my mouth is burning still. Yeah, my eyes my are, are watering. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so spicy, yeah. And of course, you can do that at uh, usefulidiots.substack.com. That was a great show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at UsefulIdiotPod and use the hashtag UsefulIdiotsPod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.